Good evening, church. Welcome to week three of our Advent series, Light in the Darkness. This evening, we're going to be looking from John chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, how Jesus is the true light. And so if you have your Bible at home, you can turn there, John chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. You could always read on the screen below as well. Here's God's word to us. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been so convinced of something, that it was true, that you were right, only to find out later you were way off. I want to play a excerpt from a very popular song several years ago by none other than Taylor Swift, and I thought I had this right, but I was wrong. So I want you to think, what in the world is she saying? Here, check it out. Right there. Song blank space. I was convinced, convinced, she said, all the lonely Starbucks lovers. Had no idea what that meant, but I thought Taylor Swift surely likes Starbucks. Uh, she has a list of her friends, maybe, that love Starbucks as well. They're lonely. I don't know why, but I was convinced. I just listened over and over again, long list of Starbucks lovers. Turns out, she says, I have a long list of ex-lovers. It sounds nothing like this. It she, sounds like she's saying Starbucks. I was, thought I was completely right, but I was very, very wrong. And this happens all the time with us, not just with songs, but with everything in life, really. We're convinced of something, only to find out later we're wrong, because our perception is oftentimes misguided. We don't see every angle, we don't see the whole picture, but we convince ourselves that we are right or we assert that we are right, but oftentimes we are wrong. And this is really what maturity is all about. Maturity is growing up over time realizing that you are wrong on more things than you are right. That you were wrong as a kid when you thought coffee was bitter and gross and now you have to have it to survive. That you were wrong when you were a child and when you were in middle and high school saying to your best friend, we're going to be best friends forever. And you may or may not talk to that person anymore. Most of us probably don't talk to our childhood best friends. If you do, that's awesome. We were way off if you thought to yourself when you were a young kid during this time of year that of course Santa and elves and flying reindeer makes complete sense. You were way off. If you thought that there was a sh there was a hundred percent true that there was a monster living in your closet, only to find out no such monster. We have all these things, right, that we we just assert in the moment because we believe ourselves to be wise, we believe ourselves to know the truth, we see the right perspective, but we find out later that we were very much off. And this happens too, even as adults. It's not just when we're children and we believe in stories that later we know with maturity certainly is not true. But it happens as we age and we realize that the investment strategy that we thought was 
the right and best strategy was in fact not. Or the way that we budgeted was the best way to budget when we find out it's not. Or this job, nothing can ever be better than this job when we find out it's not. When this has to be the worst job of all time and we find out later it is not. When this relationship, you realize that you thought was healthy, but it was not healthy and it needs some more attention. When you think even now that you're having the right diet, how many times if, you're, if you've been dieting, you've been working out, you've been trying to health, live healthy, how many times have you changed your diet or your workout routine or your morning routine because you realize that there's a better way to do it? You may have thought at one time this is the best and you may have debated people, but our perception oftentimes is misplaced and misguided. And so we have to be people that are quick to check ourselves to check our opinions and our beliefs, to check our perception, and to understand that we can be wrong. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and theologian, has a great quote about faith, and he says that thinking is the foundation of faith. The foundation of faith is thinking, meaning you have to be willing to check yourself. You have to be willing to ask questions and wrestle through your doubts and think and engage with logic and reason your faith. The foundation of your faith is based upon you thinking through these things, checking the way that you used to previously live or what you previously thought, and connecting that and putting that alongside of Jesus and his word. It's the very foundation of the Christian faith is to think. And I 100% agree that that is true as well. But I want to expand that a little bit for our conversation this evening. If thinking is the foundation of faith, then I want to say that repentance is the journey of faith. And we'll discover what that looks like here in John chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. The journey of faith is repentance. Let me read the first few verses. We'll walk through that together, starting in verse 9. Here's what the gospel writer John says. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, which gives life to everyone, is coming into the world. You see, later he's speaking that this light has come. That is the Christmas story, that the light of the world, the light in the darkness, Jesus himself, the true light, has come. So all of these ways that John is describing Jesus here is very interesting. In the very beginning, the first a sermon in the Advent series. We looked at Jesus as the Word, as the Logos. We see him as the light in the darkness. We see him as the light of life. And now we see him as the true light who is coming into the world to give light to everyone. So that's important to kind of slow down, break that down. What does it mean that Jesus, the true light, is coming to give light to everyone? Well, what does light give or what is light do. It gives clarity. It gives vision. It gives right perspective. It gives understanding. It gives discernment because it illuminates the pitfalls. It dispels the darkness so that you can see what is around you and you can understand and you can have clarity and you can have vision. It's what light gives. I remember as a kid, we were at a friend's house, had never been to this friend's house before, and uh, my parents and their parents and others that were there for this party were out back, and all the kids were inside. 
and we put down all the shades that had these blackout shades or curtains. So it was really, it was pitch black dark. It was that night and we were playing hide and go seek. Hide and go seek in the house and you couldn't see almost nothing. And when I play hide and go seek, last week I told you that I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm an achiever. I'm very competitive and driven. Same is true in hide and go seek. I want to have the best spot of all time. And so I'm navigating this house that I don't know where anything is. I've never really been in here before. And I think to myself, the best place to hide is on top of the refrigerator. There was a little space on top of the refrigerator and it's pitch black. They're not going to be able to see me, let alone find me because unless they're reaching up there. So I get up there. I'm climbing up on the counters. I climb up on the refrigerator and I'm kneeling up there and I I hear my friend who is it. He's trying to come find us. And I'm hiding up there and he's checking in multiple places. I mean, he, he knows that some of us have decided to hide on different levels of the house. And so he's reaching up on the cabinets, on the countertops, and he's trying to find us. And he starts to reach up onto the refrigerator. And I am up there. I'm on my hands and my knees. I'm kind of curled up in this ball. And I see his hand, because I can just make it a little bit before me. I see his hand coming to my leg. And so I kind of lean back and I jolt my head up. And I immediately start screaming because what I didn't realize was that their roof wasn't just a normal roof. It had this cutout in it. And so when I jolted back to not be touched, I slammed my nose into the edge of the roof and blood started gushing all over the place. And they turned the lights on to see a bloody child on top of the refrigerator. And I couldn't see it because it was pitch black dark. I had never been there. I had never navigated that house before. I didn't know that there was a pitfall up there. And, you know, needless to say, the, the hide-and-go-seek game was over, and it was time for medical attention. But the reason I share that story with you is because in darkness, especially if you are in a place and in an environment and going through a, cir- a circumstance or a situation that you've never navigated before, darkness is perilous. You can't see where you're going. You don't have clarity. You don't have vision. You don't have right perspective. You may think that you are navigating things well when in fact you are just about to break your nose. You're just about to slam into something. And here, what John is saying is that Jesus, the true light, has come and he gives light. He gives clarity and understanding and right perspective and vision to everyone. And then he says in verse 10 through 11, He says, he was in the world, and yet the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So the true light has come to give light to everyone. Who doesn't want light? Who doesn't want clarity and vision and understanding and perspective? Discernment. But he says, even though he made the world, the world has not received him. They don't know him. They want nothing to do with him. People want to live in the darkness, even though the true light has come and he's offering light. You may think, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. If you're in darkness and you have the opportunity to receive light and clarity and perspective and discernment, wouldn't you want that? So why is it that people reject Jesus? Why do they fail to see him as the true light and rather stay content to live in the darkness? As Romans 1 says, to exchange the truth of God for a lie. To live in a lie, to live in darkness. And that is because darkness is comfortable. 
It, is com- it, it may sound ridiculous to say that darkness is comfortable because darkness is pretty scary and you, you're kind of always bumping into things you can't see and you, you can only see a little bit in front of you. You don't have vision for what's ahead. But it's comfortable. Because the rejection of Jesus as the true light results from the refusal to be exposed. The rejection of Jesus as the true light results from the refusal to be exposed. Because that's another characteristic of the light is that it exposes everything that is around, everything that was once in darkness. And I think that we, f- we find this in three ways. Three ways why we maybe feel comfortable to stay in the light or in the darkness and not be exposed by the light to acknowledge Jesus as the true light. And the first is, is because we know that Jesus, the true light, will expose our shortcomings. Our shortcomings can no longer be concealed. We will have to come to terms with the reality that we are a greater failure than we ever imagined in many ways, not only in regards to our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. Jesus exposes our shortcomings and our failures, and that's never comfortable. Nobody likes to receive that or to experience that. We like to pretend ourselves to have everything together. So Jesus exposes our our shortcomings, but Jesus also, as the true light, he also exposes our blemishes or our flaws. We can no longer cover up our blemishes. We can no longer cover up our flaws. Not just our failures where we've actively failed, but just the flaws in who we are. The things that are dark in us. The things that are broken in us. You know, I'm familiar with paint because I just painted some walls in our house and I was doing all this research on uh, just kind of paint colors and different types of paint that can hide blemishes because, you know, the, our walls in our house are kind of rough and so I want to hide some of the, the blemishes. And I realized, I, I came to learn that the matte finish, it hides the blemishes best and the glossy finish, that exposes the blemishes And the reason is, is because the glossy finish of any paint color, it reflects the light. It draws the light in and reflects it. And the light really just kind of illuminates it. And it shows the blemishes. And so you don't want to put glossy paint on a wall or on a door that has a lot of blemishes on it because you want to conceal the blemishes. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He reveals our blemishes. We see our flaws. We have to come to terms with the brokenness that we have. And a lot of us and many people don't want to come to terms with that. Rather stay in darkness. It's more comfortable. It's much more comfortable. And then lastly, Jesus, he he reveals our refusal to be exposed as living without thinking. Now, That may sound kind of controversial, but I think it's true. The rejection of Jesus as the true light is really also also a refusal to acknowledge that you are not willing to really think in your life because you're content to remain in 
darkness. You don't want to see. You don't want to gain clarity. You don't want to really understand what is all around you and then have to evaluate how you've been living in a very detrimental way. You see, when you are in darkness and you can't see anything, the only way to navigate is to feel what's around you. You have to feel if that's a sharp edge. You have to feel if that's a right path. You need to, even with your feet, feel if you're walking in the right direction. And so many of us are comfortable to stay in darkness because we'd much rather live based upon how we feel, feeling our way through life. If that feels safe, it must be safe. If it feels good, it must be good. We'd rather live based, living based off how we feel than being challenged to think. Rather just live consuming. And I think many people, many people don't know Jesus because they haven't felt him. That Jesus isn't known by many because he isn't felt. Like many, you, maybe you've been around, maybe this is you. You've been around people or maybe this is your story at one time or maybe this is where you are right now where you say, I, I'm willing to try Jesus. I want to try church. I really think that's missing in my life. But then when you don't feel what you expected to feel or what you want to feel or you didn't feel God or feel Jesus, well then you thought to yourself or maybe you said, it's not for me. Because we live our life, so many of us, based upon what we feel. We are content to stay in the darkness and just do what feels good and what feels comfortable. And if it doesn't feel good and it's not comfortable, then it's not good. And it's not for us. And we take that and and apply that to our spiritual life and our faith as well. If it doesn't feel good, then it must not be good for us. But see, listen, you cannot come to see the light with the same method that you navigate the darkness. You navigate the darkness by feeling your way around and judging whether or not it is safe to move forward. You cannot come to see the light with the same method that you navigate the darkness. You have to receive him and you have to believe in his name. The foundation of coming to see Jesus as the true light is thinking about who he is and who he claims to be and believing in his name. So John says here in verse 12 through 13, he says, but to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, not all who felt him, it's that they received him. There was, there was this acknowledgement, there's this understanding that they see Jesus for who he is. They believe, have faith in his name and he gave them the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, to receive Jesus as the true light is to be exposed, really, for your need for a Savior. It is to say, I have a lot of failures and shortcomings. I'm broken. I have a lot of flaws. I've been navigating life wrong by just judging what feels good. And now I've come to see that I actually need a Savior who is Jesus. I see my need for a Savior and I believe in His name. I come to know who He is. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Savior. Jesus the Anointed One. It is coming to know and to believe 
that despite your shortcomings, despite your failures and your brokenness, despite the fact that you've been living and navigating life in darkness and in the completely wrong way, that you need a Savior and He is made available to you and He is willing to offer life and light to your life. And that those emotions, they come. You will feel that relationship with God. You will feel Jesus and a connection through the Holy Spirit as well to the Father because what will begin to flood your heart as you come to believe in His name is the feeling and is the experience of God's love and His forgiveness and His freedom poured out to you knowing that you are a child of God. You will feel the love of the Father as a child of God because you know and you believe in Jesus' name as the Messiah. This knowledge, this faith changes you. It changes your life. It changes the path that you're walking. Why? Because Jesus gives light and clarity and discernment and vision and right perspective. And when you come to know Jesus and then experience the love of the Father and you believe in his name, you cannot help but change directions and evaluate all the things that you thought were good or you thought were true and you come to realize you were way wrong. And that is why thinking may be the foundation of faith, but repentance is the journey of faith. I want to close by seeing another example where Jesus really connects to this passage in John chapter 1, and that's in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we see something amazing happen in Jesus' life, a statement that is profound, but also an experience or an event. But right before that, you have to have a little bit of context. In John chapter 7, we read that the festival of booths or festival of tabernacles is taking place in Israel, in Jerusalem. And this was a festival that happened every year between mid-September to mid-October. It lasted for eight days, and it was a time to remember what God had done for his people in Egypt when he rescued them and then he brought them into the wilderness and he guided them through the wilderness and provided for their needs and eventually led them to the promised land, that he was their guiding light, that he was the one that sustained them when they were navigating the wilderness. And they were nomadic during this time when they were traversing the wilderness for 40 years. And so what they would do during this festival is the city is packed with people. Everybody would make these temporary shelters, these little houses, and they'd put them on top of their house on a flat roof because all the roofs were flat, put this temporary, and they'd live in there for eight days to remember what it was like hundreds of years before when God's people were rescued from captivity in Egypt and they had to make these temporary homes and live in them in the wilderness as God provided for them. They had all these you know, really incredible experiences where every morning the, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and take water and take the water back to the temple and pour it into the altar to help remind the people of how God provided through a rock when Moses struck the rock with his staff and water poured out. And then at the very end of the festival, they would have this ceremony, this worship service where they had these massive four candles that were in the center of the temple, known as the Court of Women. 
And these massive candles were lit and there was this big party and celebration and remembering how God led his people through the desert as a pillar of fire. He guided them. He gave them clarity and understanding, vision. And they would have this celebration. So this is all taking place and we pick up in John chapter 8 where Jesus in the morning wakes up and he makes this statement. Yes, the day before he made another profound statement when this water from the pool of Siloam is poured out in the altar. He says, anyone that comes to me will never thirst. I provide for all of your needs. And then here the next morning, right after the candles have been lit and the party happens, and now it's the morning so the candles are no longer burning. He says this in verse 12 of John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the light of the world, and you are to follow me, and you have the light of life. Right after this ceremony where they remember how God was the pillar of fire for the people wandering the wilderness and how he led them to safety. And Jesus is saying here, you don't need traditions to remember what God did. I am here as God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and I am the light of the world. I will guide you. Follow me and I will guide you to life. I will give you clarity and understanding and perspective. I am the light in the wilderness and you need to follow me. You see, light all throughout Scripture is connected to truth and goodness, and darkness is connected to lies and to evil. So Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you follow me, you will follow into a life of truth and a life of goodness. But if you deny me and stay in darkness, you will live a life of lies and evil. So follow me, Jesus is saying. And right after this happens, or actually right before this, a very famous account happens that gives a lot more color to what Jesus is saying. Because right before Jesus makes this statement that he's the light of the world, that you're to follow him to live a life of truth and a life of goodness, that he'll give you clarity in the midst of the darkness of this world, there's a woman that's brought before Jesus. Says that she's an adulterous woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. And she's dragged away and brought before Jesus that morning. And they come before Jesus. And they say, what would you do with her? Knowing that the Jewish penalty for adultery for women was stoning. The men had much less consequences Really sad. The penalty was stoning. Jesus, she was caught in the act. What would you do? Trying to catch Jesus. Trying to discredit him. It says that Jesus bends down on the ground and he starts drawing in the sand. Nobody knows what he wrote or drew in the sand. Some scholars think that he started to write out the different sins of all the men around. Then as he's drawing, he looks up and he says, 
anyone here without sin, cast the first stone. If you have no sin, pick up a stone and throw it. And here's what it says. It says that one by one, everybody begins to leave. And I love this. It says, beginning with the older ones. So the oldest people there were the first ones to leave because remember, as you mature in life, you realize that you were way wrong and way off on a lot of things when you were younger. And so the older ones there are thinking to themselves, man, I have made some mistakes in life. I have a lot of sin. I'm not picking up a stone. I'm just going to head out. And everybody begins to leave. And Jesus looks at the woman. And he says, has anyone condemned you? She looks at him. She has to be just astounded. And says, no one, Lord. And then he looks at her and he says this. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, don't sin any more. I have to imagine that in that experience, that woman's life was forever changed, that her faith was ignited, that she saw Jesus as he would say a moment later that he was the light of the world. See, there in that moment, she had all of her brokenness and all of her shortcomings and all of her flaws exposed. It was exposed before Jesus and everybody else that she was living a life that was not full of flourishing and joy. She was cheating on her husband with another man. She had to have been thinking, how did I get to this place? Her whole life, all of her brokenness, all of her shame, all of her guilt, all of her sin exposed before Jesus. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. From that moment, as she already has acknowledged that Jesus is Lord by saying previously, no one, Lord, has condemned me. Condemned me. I have to, to believe that from there, seeing Jesus for who he was, the Messiah, the true light, who exposes our brokenness and our failures, but then who also sends us out, changed. That her life was forever changed. That thinking was the foundation of her faith because she came to see Jesus and to know who Jesus was and to believe in Jesus' name. But then repentance became the journey of her life. I have to believe that from that moment she went back and she began to reevaluate everything she was doing. That she probably had some hard conversations with her husband seeking reconciliation. That repentance became the journey of her faith as Jesus said to her, go now. Now your journey is to sin no more. It is to grow. It is to change. It is to repent. You see, repentance means to return. To return. But to return where? To return to Jesus. The true light. To return to Him. And so if repentance is the journey of life, that means your life and my life is to be marked by consistently returning to Jesus. Returning to Jesus to check our perspectives, to evaluate our lifestyle choices, to kind of reveal some of the things that we're believing are true that could be way wrong 
We want Jesus and his word and the light to expose and give clarity and vision and discernment. It is to return to him time and time again and allow Jesus and his word to evaluate us so that we can grow, so that we can go and begin to sin no more. You see, we see here in the Christmas story a birth of the Savior who has come to earth. But it is a story marked with shame. Mary was outcasted with Joseph. Everybody thought that Mary had most likely cheated on Joseph with somebody else. That's why she was pregnant before they were actually married. And Jesus, the Messiah, is not only born to this shamed couple, but born in a cave with animals around. This poor couple. How could that be the light of the world? How could that be the true light, the Messiah? But how wrong people were to believe that, to have that perspective. Because Jesus had proved with his life, from his birth to his death, to his resurrection, that he was in fact the Messiah, the true light that he offers to you and to me. That his mission was to come and save us through his death and his resurrection, but it was also to send us into a life of repentance that looks like following the light, the true light, who is Jesus. And so I pray, church, that this Advent season and this week, that you would return to Jesus daily. That you would begin to have repentance be the journey of your faith. Setting time aside to go before God in his word and through prayer. Allowing God to check your perceptions and your beliefs and your opinions. Your lifestyle choices. So that you might grow more in your faith to follow Jesus who is the light and will give clarity and vision to your life. There's no better way than living with clarity and vision. And that's what Jesus offers you. If you'll follow him, believe in his name, and return to him daily as a lifestyle of repentance. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you invite us to come before you daily, that you don't make declarations to us and then remain distant, but you are near to us. You are the true light who gives us light in our life. Would we follow you? Would we lean upon you? Would we return to you daily and consistently, allowing you and your word, Jesus, to evaluate us, to check us, to convict us and challenge us? so that we may go and sin no more. Build up that strength. Re, God, disorient our rhythms if they are out of whack and allow us to set aside that time to be with you. To acknowledge maybe some of the choices that we're making now, some of the decisions that we're about to make, that we may think they're right and they're true, but they are wrong. Bring us into your light so we may follow you and believe in your name knowing that we are children of you, our Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.